if my memory serves me right, which that's a dangerous thing to depend on, but I think we got down through verse 23. We're almost we're almost through with chapter 29, and we ended up in verse 23 talking about the matter of pride. And so we're going to finish out tonight in this chapter and might get into verse 1 of the next chapter because it is, it is actually uh, just an introduction to the chapter, and so... It might be a good time to cover that. We'll see how the time goes. Verse number 24, Whoso is partner with the thief hateth his own soul. Uh, He heareth cursing and bewayeth it not. You know, contrary to what a lot of people think, the company you keep makes a big difference. You know, we try to, we try to ingrain that in our children, and of course they resent it, you know, they, they come home with a new friend uh, from school and they think, you know, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and mom and dad ought to adopt him into the family, you know. And uh, the fact of the matter is sometimes uh, the people they choose as their friends are not the kind of kids that you want them running around with. So it's a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, but all through our life, you know, whether we're 8 or 80, the company that we, uh, that we keep has an effect on us. The, Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners, and in other words, it affects the the way in which we live our life. Well, in this case, in our text here, uh, the the point is that the accomplice puts himself uh, in danger, and uh, if he cared anything about his own personal welfare, even he you know, wouldn't get involved with such people. We're talking about somebody that's a partner with uh, with a thief. But I want you to notice what happens next here and in this second part of the verse because it shows us how one sin generally leads into another sin. Notice the second part says, He heareth cursing and bewayeth it not. The law in that day required a person to bear witness against a thief, you know, if he had knowledge of it. This word cursing here, if you go back to the, you know, the Hebrew language doesn't speak about cursing like we think of, you know, cussing a blue streak. It uh, uh, has to do with taking an oath. And this word bewayeth here, if I'm pronouncing that right, Jennifer, you can correct me if I'm not, is that <laughs> bewrayeth? means to reveal a matter. In other words, it means to know and to disclose. The picture is a fellow that's standing in a courtroom uh, and uh, has taken an oath to testify against a thief, but he refuses to do so. And the point is that makes him an accomplice to the crime you know, that makes that person, in one sense, just as guilty as the person that committed the crime. And in reality, this happens in a different context probably all of the time. Whenever we think about uh, uh, kids again in school or wherever it might be, it, it seems it's supposed to be like a badge of honor not to rat someone out. And, and, and I know we teach our children, don't be a tattletale. You know, and uh, there's something to be said for that. You know, don't come running complaining about so-and-so did this all the time. But 
But there are certain issues that demand that we get involved. And God demands honesty, and our legal system depends upon that justice is more important than whether or not you offend somebody. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many fans of cops and the ID channel and some of those things. I, uh, I, I enjoy those shows, especially the ID channel, because uh, those shows are real-life episodes and so forth. And one of the things, there's another one called, I think, uh, 48 Hours, and uh, they're trying to solve the crime. But the big problem is, David Scott could talk about this better than I could. Nobody wants to talk about it. They don't know. Oh no, I don't. I, I, I don't know him. Never seen him before. They don't want to rat somebody out. And and of course, you know, it, it, in, in their situation, it can be. You know, they can endanger themselves because they know some of those guys will kill them if they rat them out. They realize that. But when we think about our justice system and the way it works, and we think, you know, we ought to think about the, our obligation to the victim and, uh, and stand up for what's right. Will there be consequences? Well, there might be. But let me tell you, in some way or another, there are going to be consequences of us, of us not doing the right thing. And I'd rather suffer the consequences that man dishes out rather than God have to deal with the issue. So don't become a partner in crime. You say, well, preacher, what in the world does this have to do with anything related to our life here, you know, in the church? Well, you know, I don't... Uh, I, I don't know of anybody stealing money out of the church or anything like that. But it can relate to a lot of different sins. And the principle has to do with standing up, speaking out for what's right. And there are a lot of times, for example, the sin of gossip. You know, a lot of times people want, uh, you know, over the years I've had people come to me, you know, there's the pastor and the well, preacher, you know, so-and-so's doing this or so-and-so's doing that. And I, I just think the church needs to do something about it and what have you. But it seems like it's always a particular sin they want to deal with. They don't want to deal with all the other issues, you know. And for someone, for example, to gossip in the church, that can tear a church apart in a heartbeat because all of a sudden, you know, you've got people, you've created a division and you've got people taking sides and, and horrible things can happen as a result of that. The point is, just as the fellow in court that has taken an oath to tell the truth, just as he ought to speak up for what is right, you need to stand up and speak up and let it be known that that's not proper conduct, you see. You say, well, I'm not the pastor. You don't have to be the pastor. All you have to be is just a church member, a child of God, and you have every right to speak out against what is what is wrong, what is unjust. And so, uh, to me, that's the whole point of this, whether it's in the context of a courtroom or the church or wherever it might be. Well, verse 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You know, when I read this, the very first thing that uh, comes to my mind has to do when God called me to preach. 
because I, I can remember in high school the teacher, you know, demanded an oral book report, and I said, I'm not getting up in front of the class. I, you know, I, you can fail me, do whatever you want. I'm just not going to do it, and I didn't do it. I got a D minus. I graduated, uh, even though I had that one D minus, but uh, I wasn't going to do it. Well, here I am some years later, and all of a sudden God calls me to preach, in case you didn't know what that means, standing up in front of people speaking. And, and I was scared to death. I, I, I'll never forget, um, never forget the first night that, uh, that I preached and the, my pastor's wife felt sorry for Bev. Now she, now you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking she felt sorry because she's going to have to listen to it. And I kind of felt sorry for her on that grounds, but, uh, Anyway, she knew what it was being a preacher's wife, and so she she started feeling sorry for her, and she gave gave Bev a, a nerve pill. And I thought, good Lord, I'm the one that needs a nerve pill. She all she's got to do is sit there. I'm the one's got to get up there and preach. But but it was a scary thing. And uh, talking about that the other day, uh, before the funeral, and talking to Brother Joe's family about where I cut my teeth preaching in that rescue mission. And boy, let me tell you, that's not an easy place to start preaching because you got a bunch of drunks and what have you that, that you know, they're just there for a hot meal. They, they don't want to listen to preaching, but they knew that they had to. And as soon as you got on something they didn't really like, they'd let you know about it. And when I look at this, the fear of man bringeth a snare, let me tell you, there's nothing in the world that will tongue-tie a preacher any quicker than fear of the people. And, uh, and, and it's, it's easy even maybe more than a matter of being a public speaker, you know, so to speak. It's a matter of dealing with issues that you know that people are not. And here he says that it, the fear of man brings a snare. That is, it's... it's uh, it's, it's a dangerous trap, in other words, and it causes us to So we get in that situation wherever it exists, and uh, we make it our purpose to please people, you know, so we'll feel better about the situation instead of thinking about pleasing God. We... peer pressure is because uh, that, that's exactly why you know somebody will start all of a sudden some kid will start doing something way far out for what the, you know the parents have been accustomed to and you wonder why well it's because they're running with a certain crowd and the peer pressure you know to dress a certain way talk a certain way and everything else or uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna be mocked by your peers and um, so we've got this pressure that comes comes on us whether it's from the classmates in school and, and by the way that's not an easy thing for kids to deal with uh, it, 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 it's amazing when you sometimes we, we we look at what kids doing today and we forget about the silly the silly things we did back you know, whenever we were growing up, you had to, 
you know, the boys, you know, we let her hair grow out and not long over the ears. That was sissified. I'm not talking about the hippie type stuff. You know, I'm, I'm talking about you had to let it grow out long enough to have a duck tail and a little curl hanging down on your forehead. And if you had enough hair to grow some long sideburns and things like that, and you had to wear your Levi's just exactly a certain way. And, and, and you know, so it's, everybody wanted to fit in. So kids are under a lot of pressure. But even after that, uh, in the matter of vocation, there's this matter of fearing man, uh, fearing man in the sense that, you know, whenever you're on the job and, and you, you want to fit in, you don't want to displease the boss. And so your fear uh, of him sometimes causes you to do things that ordinarily you wouldn't do. There's some people that have been, uh, I started to use the word forced. Actually, there wasn't forced, but some have had their job threatened because the boss wanted them to do something that was illegal. I've told the story after I got saved, and I worked for a civil engineering firm, and, and uh, the boss wanted me to uh, get on the phone, and it happened to be down here in Texas. He wanted me to call down here to uh, certain communities that that we were pattering ours after up there in that area, building subdivisions and upscale mobile home parks with big fancy uh, clubhouses and stuff like that, and to pose as somebody that's getting ready to move down there. And I, I told him, I ain't going to do that. That's lying. He said, it's not really lying. He said, you know, you're just acting like you're going to do that so we can get the information. I, I told him, I'm not going to do it. You can fire me if you want to, but I am not going to, going to lie about it. And I really thought he might fire me, but he didn't. But I'm telling you, there's, there can be pressure on you in a number of ways on the job. You can't let the fear of man dictate what decisions you make, whether it's in your vocation, whether it's in high school, whether it's in a child-parent relationship. And let me tell you, there's, there's some kids are running the show all because, you know, the parents are afraid, as it were, that they're going to displease them. Well, if you do what's right, yeah, you're going to displease them. They're not going to like the program. But that's what they need. And so many times people think, well, yeah, but I'm doing it for their sake. No, you're not. You're not doing it for their sake. You're doing it for your sake. It makes you feel better because you don't have to deal with the consequences of them pitching one of their little fits so you let them have their way. The same thing, this, this matter of fearing people can can come right over into the church in numerous different ways, but it's really deadly when it comes to a pastor that fears the people to the point that he's afraid they're going to disapprove of the sermon or the subject. And, and so, you know, I'm going to stay away from that. That wouldn't fit in good here. You know, they wouldn't like that. So-and-so will get mad and what have you. And you, you would be surprised, I think, if we really knew how many pastors uh, avoid certain subjects because they don't want to upset the people. They are just fearful of the, pre uh, the people. Uh, I, I've known cases, several, especially uh, for some reason in Tennessee and Kentucky and through that area, uh, for some reason or another, in a lot of those little country churches, the deacons think they're supposed to run the whole show, and the and the pastor's supposed to be a, a puppet. 
you know, and they, you know, they say jump, and he says how high, and uh, and, and let me say I've seen churches ruined as a result of that, and, and the preacher didn't have enough backbone to stand up for what's right, and so there's a price to pay for allowing the fear of man to dictate what you do. It has tragic consequences. If we had time, we could just go through the Bible. I think about Aaron, for example, and whenever Moses was away. And Aaron, in an effort to please the people, did what? Made, made, the, made the calf, the golden calf. Uh, all, all because of his fear of the people. I think about uh, Saul, King Saul, whenever he feared the people and, and he spared Agag the king after God told him, you know, you're supposed to you know, kill everybody in the city. You're, you're not supposed to take anything, but you're supposed to kill the king and everybody else. Instead of doing that, you know, he, he kept some of the animals and he, he kept the king alive. And it was all because of fear. You go to the New Testament and there you think about Herod, for example, in order to appease the people, murdered John the Baptist. And then, of course, there is Pilate whenever, because of his fear of the people, you see, uh, and his fear of Caesar, I think, more than anything else, because people begin to uh, say that Jesus claimed to be a king, like he's a threat to the Roman government. And so Pilate, worried about what Caesar is going to think, turned him over to be crucified. Even Peter, as he warmed himself around the fire, because of the fear of people, he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, I say it has tragic consequences, and it's something so serious that we have to overcome it. And you look through the Bible again, you see that the great men overcame the fear of others. Uh, little David whenever he went out and discovered what Goliath was doing. And, you know, David was ready to go and challenge him, and his brothers, everything they had to say was discouraging to him. You know, what did you come out to watch the show? And they literally mocked him, but he didn't let the, the fear of their accusation deter him from doing what is right. I think about the courage Daniel had whenever he... Uh, whenever he went into the lion's den and his three friends into the fiery furnace. Uh, I think about in the New Testament, Peter and the apostles. Whenever, you know, it's real easy to look back and say Peter denied the Lord, and yes, he did. But, you know, there are times that due to pressure of some kind or another, we all tend to act out of character. And it's never fair for us to judge somebody the entirety of somebody's life based on what one thing they did because sometimes we, we all mess up. Peter messed up, but boy, give them courage. I'll tell you, whenever they were threatened by the Jews and, and, and what have you, and later on after the day of Pentecost, they went out and boldly proclaimed the gospel from house to house. They couldn't have done that had they feared the people, you see. So it's a common problem. It's a serious problem. And one that we need that we need to solve in our lives. Well, the question to me comes up: What's the remedy for that? What's the remedy? Well, number one is this: to remember that we are accountable to God for our actions. When I knew God called me to preach, 
as difficult as it was for me to stand up in front of people, and especially especially at that stage of my life. I, I'd just been saved a short time. I didn't know beans about the Bible. All I knew was I was a sinner. Jesus was a Savior. I had trusted Him. I, you know, I knew the plan of salvation. I figured, you know, that's all I need to get started. So I started. I started preaching what I knew, and I'd study in between sermons. And uh, to overcome that, I had to realize if God called me to preach, I've got to give an account to God regardless of what they think and regardless of how I feel about it. I've got an obligation. So to me, that's the number one thing on the list of you conquering your fear of people. You have to give an account to God. I've known people that had uh, lovely singing voices. I mean, they were gifted. God had given them uh, an, an ability that most people don't have. And yet, because of their fear of people, they, they wouldn't get up in front of people and sing. That's one reason I love to see these little kids getting involved. I mean, that just thrills my heart because it helps them, you know, to get accustomed to getting up in front of people. And so... Uh, if God has given you that ability, whether it's to sing, teach, whatever it is, and you don't use it, you've got to give an account to God for that. Secondly, we need to remember that truth never changes. It's, it's never popular, you know, regardless of what generation you're living in. Standing for what's right is not going to be popular. And then we need to realize that to conquer our fear... We need to increase our faith because faith and fear can't live together under the same roof. Faith will drive fear out. And uh, so as we build our faith, it gives us that courage and that boldness we need to say no to the crowd, the peer pressure. It gives us the ability to do what is right when we're tempted to do what is wrong. And so don't get yourself, don't get yourself in a bad situation because of your fear of man. Well, verse number 26, many, many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. You know, we've all heard that old saying, uh, it's not what you know, but who you know that counts. And in some ways, there's a lot of truth to that because we know uh, uh, we, we we've all heard of cases where somebody that uh, that got in trouble, legal trouble, I'm talking about, and because of who they knew, they could get out of it. You know, their dad had connections with people in high places, and as a result of that, they knew that it's kind of like this kid some time ago that. What was it? The lawyer got him off because he had been overprivileged or something like that, you know. And him, and, yeah. And so they got him off because he hadn't, you know, poor little thing. He had always got his way and got everything he wanted, you know. And so he shouldn't be. Yeah, killed a couple of people. That's what it was. So anyway, got him off, and eventually the the mom and the boy, I think, run off to Mexico and and so forth. But there are people who get, that get away with crimes all of the time because they know certain people. Uh, and uh, they, they, they use that. And so there's, you know, that advantage of having friends in high places. And um, that's the very reason that's mentioned here. 
many seek the ruler's favor. In other words, they court the favor of those that are in authority uh, because they know that they can use it to their advantage. But um, there are other times, you know, when others people either can't or won't help us, regardless of who you know. And that's when, you know, we need to have our faith in the Lord. Uh, over over in uh, Psalms, uh, I'm trying to think where it is. I think Psalms 121 may be uh, better to trust in in uh, better trust in the Lord than in horses and chariots. I can't remember the exact verse. Now, horses and chariots constitute an army. That's the picture that's being painted there. Better to put your trust in the Lord than it is to depend upon the might of of the military, you know, for your survival and, and so forth. Notice here, he says in the last part of this, every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And that word judgment there, as it's used in this verse, doesn't have anything to do with punishment. It's talking about justice. We just got through talking about that to begin with tonight. Talking about justice, talking about what is right, what is fair. And, uh, and, and, and so the, the whole point is here that we never make a mistake when we put our trust in the Lord because we can depend upon the Lord to do what is just, what is right, what is fair. He never leaves us and He never fails us. He's that friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm glad that we have an ever-present help in a time of need. You know, it's not like we've got to call him long distance and see what day he can get there. Uh, He's there. He's there. Whenever your need is, he is there in the moment at that time in your life. And he said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 27, and this wraps up the chapter, an unjust man, well, you know, this goes right back. We've been talking about justice and fairness and things of that nature. And here he says, an unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. A lot of people, you know, are, you know, they're, they're banging their, their heads trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with the world. You know, all of the conflict, the confusion, the social unrest, the, the war, strife, and, and everything that goes on. Oh, what, what, what's wrong? What, this verse right here, I think, gets to the root of the problem. Because ever since the first family, there's been conflict between the righteous and the unrighteous. Cain, a righteous man, murdered Abel, or Cain, an unrighteous man, murdered Abel, a righteous man. And all throughout history, that same thing has been going on. And and that's why, you know, the Lord said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, marvel not, he said, he, he said, uh, my brethren, if the, if the world hate you, don't, don't be surprised by that, if the world hates you. When we stand up for what's right, we become an abomination to those that are ungodly. Now think about it for a minute. How in the world could anyone hate Jesus? 
I mean, how, how could you do that? Because you can't find any fault with him whatsoever. He's absolute perfection. So how could anyone hate Jesus? And yet we know from the testimony of the Bible that they hated him. They despised him. And those same kind of people will hate you when you stand for what's right. You can expect it. That goes back to whether you're in the school, on the job, wherever you're at. There are people that literally will despise you. You become an abomination to them because you stand for what is right. And um, when Jesus said expect it, he did so for a reason because, you know, to be forewarned is to be, is to be prepared. Uh, and I know that I'll use a worldly illustration and uh, I'm not promoting gambling when I say this. But, you know, if you're playing poker, you have to play the hand you're dealt. That's the way, that's the, way the game is made up. You can't say, I don't like these cards and reach in the deck and get some more cards. You, whatever, whatever you're dealt, that's what you've got to play. And... Uh, in a sense, that's kind of the way life is because none of us have it within our ability to order the events of our life. Now, I know whenever you're a little kid, you can say, somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a cop. I want to, you know, we got all of these childhood dreams of what we want to be, but none of it has it in our power you know, sit down with a pencil and piece of paper and say, you know, I, I want, I, I want to become this and I want to accomplish that. We don't have that ability because everything in life is either allowed or it is appointed by God. Every cancer, sin, you, you name, doesn't make any difference what you name. God either allowed it or God appointed it. So God either let it happen. Or God made it happen. And in both cases, God does so for a good reason. He doesn't make any mistakes. God, look, God could clamp everything down and make us a bunch of robots to where, you know, all we, all we could do was what He commanded us to do. Uh, but we could never become the person God wants us to be like that. And so God gave us uh, a free will. And God arranges, as it were, the affairs of our life where, regardless of how hard we try, that we're going to encounter difficulty. People are going to hate us. People are going to neglect us. People are going to abuse us. And we shouldn't ever let that determine what we do because we never have a right to neglect our duty because it's difficult or because it's dangerous. I can't tell you the number of preacher friends that I, I have and that I've had over the years that left the church simply because some of the people got against them. And, and, and it's true, boy, they were going through a hard time and uh, they were trying to make them leave, do anything they could. And so they, they, they decided, I'm not going to fight this anymore. I, I'm, I'm just going to leave. Well, if you know you're where God wants you to be, don't you dare leave. And not, that's, I'm not talking just preachers. I'm talking about you too. Regardless of what we're going through as a church, regardless of what bad things I might do or anything else, don't you dare leave the church where God placed you because you're going to have to give an account to God for that. 
No, it's not fun. No, it's not easy. Life is tough. Uh, but God is able to see us through, and He's able to enable us to be more than conquerors. And through these experiences, these painful experiences, whatever they might be, through all of that, God's going to use it. If we really believe Romans eight twenty eight, you know, all things, that means the good, the bad, and the ugly, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord who are the called according to His purpose. So I hope that through this chapter you've gleaned something from it that'll be helpful. And Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up uh, in in chapter number 30. And uh, I think I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm tempted to look at verse 1. It's just, it, it, at first glance, uh, it doesn't seem to... No, let me talk about it. We've got, we got a couple of minutes. Now, the words of Agur, the son of Jacob... Jake, Jennifer, help me here. What? All right, I feel better. I feel better. Yeah, it's kind of like the old farmer, you know, that uh, is talking about all of his crops had failed that year. And somebody said, well, how do you feel about it? He said, I don't feel bad. Nobody else had a crop either. You know, that's a horrible way. So, But the son of the, the words of Agar, the son of Jacob, the, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, unto Ithiel and Eucal. Kind of sounds like a football team. Now, I have no idea who these men are. None whatsoever. But I don't need to know. And the reason I don't need to know is this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where speaking about, you know, those that God used to write His Word. He says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's all I need to know about the author. I know he was a holy man, and I know that he was moved by the Spirit of God to write these words. And, of course, Solomon, naturally, being the basic author of Proverbs, incorporates this into, uh, in, into his writings here. But, you know, since that's the case, whether you know anything about the history of this man or not, you know he was a holy man and you know that God moved him to write these words. We need to listen and whenever I look at this, uh, it just something about it reminds me that a person doesn't have to be famous to be useful. This guy's never mentioned again in the Bible anywhere. I've never read his name in a history book anywhere. We know nothing about him. He's not famous, but he was certainly useful. And you'll see that whenever we get on over in, into this chapter. He was just an instrument that God was using. And, um, you know, by the way, that's what we all should be. And how God uses us is His business. God's not going to use you or me to write any of the Bible whatsoever. He, he's just not going to do that. that. That doesn't need to be done. But God wants to use you as an instrument in some way. Now, here's one reason I decided to go on with verse number one, because when I look at this, I, I see something else that to me is noteworthy, and I want you to notice that he mentions his father here. He doesn't tell us anything about him, right? But, he, but he's mentioned. And, and God did that. God said, I want you to mention daddy. You know, so he puts 
put daddy's name there in it. Now, based on all we learn from the book of Proverbs, in fact, I have an entire message about fathers where every verse I use is out of the book of Proverbs. And based on what we learn about fathers from the book of Proverbs, we know this man played an important role in Agur's life. And uh, we've got Father's Day coming up. It's just a good reminder that we have an awesome responsibility in that regard. But then there's one more thing, and I'm through. You'll notice that, that Agur also ministered to others. He was a teacher. And notice he has two students here, Ithniel and Ulcal. So he's got at least two students. I don't know why he just mentioned those. If he had more, I have no idea. But he was, he was a teacher to them, and they are the students. That reminds me of the importance of transmitting truth from one generation to another. And boy, there's some great verses in the Bible in that regards about our responsibility to make sure that we trans, uh, transmit the truth to the younger generation. And let me end with this. Every man ought to be a student and ought to be a teacher. Every man ought to be a student. Every man ought to be a teacher. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What are you learning and who are you teaching? You say, well, you didn't give me a Sunday school class. You don't, you don't need a Sunday school class to teach. You know, you, 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 can, you can teach on the job. You can teach wherever you are. But every man ought to be a student. And never stop being a student. And we ought to all be teachers taking the truth to those that uh, are not familiar with it. Well, I'm through. Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in verse number 2 and probably, probably just take those first three verses, but we'll see.